Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the crypto hipster, where I bring you the crypto corner, where I interview founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, uh, artists, musicians, you name it in crypto and blockchain globally. And today I have an absolutely amazing guest. His name is John Allen. He's the uh, GP, the general partner at Marana Ventures and Magnus Ventures. He's also the co-founder of Blockchain at Berkeley. Uh, John, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jamil. Very welcome. It's an honor. Um, so to kick things off, um, let me let me ask you the first question. Uh, what is your background, and uh, is it a logical background for what you do now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like um, a lot of people in crypto, the the logical kind of on ramp to this space. Um, doesn't necessarily exist. Um, usually people have pretty eclectic kind of paths to get here. And I think mine's kind of no different. Um, I was actually kind of previously, I disarmed bombs in the military. I did explosive ordnance disposal for five years. Um, you know, so that <laughs> doesn't necessarily kind of like lend itself, but I think there are a lot of parallels, like the um, kind of tagline for, for, for the, the field is initial success or total failure. Um, you know, you only kind of get one chance to disarm a bomb or not. Um, so I think that's you know, kind of direct application to blockchain. So I think there's some parallels there and kind of that mindset has been kind of additive. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in general for me, um, you know, on my last deployment, I ended up getting injured by an IED, uh, had about a year long recovery and was just really kind of like going through looking for something um, to kind of do to spend my time and happened upon the Bitcoin white paper. Um, you know, encapsulated in kind of those nine pages was just like, you know, economics, like political science, tech, like all these fields that were quite interesting to me. And I just totally went down the rabbit hole because when I started to interface with the community, they just were not happy with the status quo. You know, they wanted to change things. They were very pie in the sky, idealistic. And like, you know, maybe it doesn't happen, all the things that they're kind of stating, but just thinking like that and having that mindset of wanting to make a difference, wanting to enact change, I think was just very infectious. Um, so I ended up kind of staying up all night, trying to learn how to trade, like, you know, getting on kind of team speak and like different kind of like, uh, chat programs, going to like local meetups, tried to self-teach myself as much as possible. And it was just like that guy, you know, back in like 2013, 2014, who was just like spamming my Facebook and all my social media and trying to get my friends uh, kind of involved, but you know, didn't really find a lot of interest. Uh, people were like, hey, this is like magic internet money and you're just going to get scams kind of thing. So um, a couple of years later, I started at UC Berkeley and found a couple of folks who were just quite interested in that domain. Um, we ended up co-founding blockchain at Berkeley. and. Um, yeah, just had a fantastic time kind of learning, starting as a student org, but then all of a sudden, you know, we started winning bids for, um, you know, kind of building blockchain products for like Airbus, Qualcomm, BMW, Exxon, realized, hey, we could be a very legitimate consultancy, um, started working with kind of smaller startups, started getting very large allocations. Um, so me and two partners flew around and started to decrypt capital like during our senior year um, at Berkeley. And so um, I think, uh, you know, it was really just kind of showed that, you know, this is a very kind of nascent technology. Um, and if you put in the work, you put in the time, you can really become kind of a subject matter expert in, in pretty quick time. So um, just generally an amazing experiment, experience. And 
very much changed kind of the trajectory of my life, uh, kind of being part of a group like that. Awesome. What I found is uh, the 2013 entrants now are making their name and they're making their, their mark. And I'm in class of 2017, so I've got another four years. Uh, you know, like uh, you guys are doing well, and I'm really proud of it. And it's awesome and amazing. So, uh, so, so thank you. So um, let me ask you the first question is this um, about, I'm going to ask you about BitDAO, right? What is BitDAO and what is the focus of it with the venture partner, Moran Ventures, and what sets you apart from the rest of the crowd? Yeah, so I think like just on its face, BitDAO is just an absolutely massive treasury, right? It has $2.5 billion, you know, it's getting around 2 to $5 million a day kind of put into, you know, capitalized um, from, from Bybit uh, due to kind of the trading volume, uh, just like 2.5 bips of kind of uh, the, current the current volume per day. And so like, that's kind of what it started as, right? And really the ethos that attracted me was, you know, the guiding star was kind of like, we want to support builders, um, which for me, that had been kind of my guiding star as well you know it's like you know i wanted to work with builders i wanted to build cool stuff and then you know maybe have a fund to kind of invest on the side and so when i first started talking with them they were interested in hiring a partner for marana ventures um and you know that was interesting but then when you combine it with you know hey we also have kind of this dual mandate to assist with the BitDAO community um i was like this is kind of what i've been doing but on a much larger scale um so i think like saying what BitDAO is, um, is, is a bit hard, you know, like me as a community member with kind of like a lot of time and kind of like thought put into it. For, for me, what I think it could be, and I think it's kind of shaping up to be very quickly is this coordination layer for the world. Um, when you start to think of kind of like capital and crypto, you have these massive treasuries with billions of dollars, but they're just sitting there and they're not really doing anything. Um, so like in general, I think like that capital can do more. Um, you know, I think it could be allocated more effectively. And I think the model that BitDAO is taking of having kind of BitDAO is kind of the person who sets the mandate and handles the capital calls um, and kind of puts these things, helps with these things together, but then really delegates a lot of that control to the periphery and those subject matter experts. I think it's a very compelling model because if you have BitDAO trying to manage these dozens of different kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of, uh, kind of structures, you know, and like in different investment decisions and day to day, it, it's very quickly bottlenecks. Um, and I also think the BitDAO community isn't a subject matter expert on dozens of different things, um, but to find the best and brightest in gaming and education, you know, and privacy and NFTs and art, um, set up these structures and just capitalize kind of the best, brightest, most passionate people. Um, I, I think it's a pretty compelling narrative. And the goal is to have this fractal growth, uh, you know, that you end up having kind of hundreds of these entities that are all making these micro decisions that all kind of work in tandem to help kind of the greater whole. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that's anyway, that's kind of my thought that completely down the rabbit hole, but it's really up to the community to come up with proposals and iterate and change things and, and kind of see where it ends up. So um, t time will tell what it ends up shaping up to be. Trying to fit picture the structure in my head. So it's not like one centralized <laughs> entity in the middle and then all these branches around like around a circle, right? It's it's what's what's who's making the decisions to allocate the capital, the whole entire organization, everybody decentralized what in a how how does that decision make process make? Yeah, so there's kind of this general structure that's shaping up where you have these soft proposals. So anyone could submit a soft proposal. Um, you know, they can come up with an idea. Like if they're on Discourse, they just kind of post it there. You can also kind of there's a soft proposal section in the Discord. Um, so this ideation, getting community involvement, kind of having it be a sounding board of like, is this you know objectively interesting to the community, um, and then putting it to a snapshot vote. And then for a snapshot vote, one bit is one vote. Um, so it really consists of like, what do the token holders want? Because um, they're the ones with the economic alignment, the economic interest for the treasury. 
Um, so that's really kind of how decisions are made. Okay. So if I come up with a project, I better be have, better have it then than project to to propose to, to uh, you know apply and propose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's the thing too is like you know if you're coming up with like a million dollar, five million dollar, ten million dollar, like when you're talking about billions of dollars, that's a ton of decisions. And so what's kind of stemmed out of it is like what is this grand kind of like vision for maybe a specific vertical that can then be like, you know, something like game seven, which is like a 500 million gaming ecosystem now. Like, I think that will start to invest directly in projects or have direct partnerships. Um, so it's really kind of like, you know, having, you know, these pitches to BitDAO be kind of these larger overarching structures, perhaps, or kind of larger token swaps or partnerships, and then really delegating out kind of like those smaller micro decisions um, to these more specialized entities. Awesome. Um, so I want to shift a little bit because you have a specific brainchild that you've created called EduDAO. Um, what is that? What is EduDAO all about? Yeah, so this is like definitely kind of a passion product of mine. Like I kind of covered, you know, like blockchain at was super influential. And I think we've seen a lot of these other university centers, like students have graduated and gone on to do phenomenal things. And I think that students are a massive kind of untapped resource that it doesn't take a lot of capital to kind of change that trajectory to get them into web3 to have them do significant meaningful work um so for me you know there's a lot of kind of these other nonprofits that have worked to support schools um but a lot of it's based on kind of like volunteer like charity and like that's great but it's very hard to scale um and so like i really feel for the people who are working to do this because it is a passion project but they don't necessarily have the time or resources because they're also working a full-time job they're also doing side projects they're also doing this and so um for me it was like how can we have some slightly more economically aligned kind of resource that can really give kind of you know the capital and resources to these schools that i think will take them to the next level um so there were a couple motivators here um one i noticed that a lot of kind of schools are just operating in silos and just having a quick conversation and being like, hey, you know, you're going to graduate in a year. You should start training your replacement. You should have a structure. You should have some roles and responsibilities. You should run this more kind of like a startup so that, you know, when the crypto market kind of like has a bear market, your you know, university group doesn't just dissolve. You know, like I want kind of these magnets to exist regardless of kind of the current macro conditions. Um, so just sharing those resources and ideas and support, um, I think bringing everyone together. Um, is kind of like one of the main pieces of this that I want to do to like share those resources to like empower other universities. Um, and then the second piece I really noticed was, you know, just kind of from my peers who co-founded blockchain at Berkeley, almost a vast majority of them have gone on to do phenomenal things, um, you know, in the crypto space. Um, I had other universities as well. Um, and so like you have these university groups taking students from zero to one, they graduate, they start amazing things, and you have these venture capitalists who come in, take all of the kind of the round and they reap a lot of those benefits. I, I think that that's fine. You know, that's the existing structure. I think kind of they're, they're optimized for that. But what I've noticed is a lot of alumni, myself included, really want to give back to these kind of institute, you know, these kind of groups that have like really provided a lot of value to us. But we're all busy. We don't have a lot of time. But it's very easy to say, hey, invest 10, 15, 25K into my project. And then if my project goes 10, 20, 50X, I feel like I actually just funded this group for another two, three, four years. Um, so it's one of those things where I want this virtuous cycle to exist, where the groups are doing the best job educating students, those students succeeding, end up bringing capital and resources back to those groups so they can then educate more and more students. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of those two pieces, like that positive value flow back into the orgs who are good actors in the space. Um, and then also, um, 
and then also having kind of like these groups have a better model and kind of share resources and um, kind of ideas to make them kind of more stable uh, resources. You have eight schools to start with. Um, what are the eight schools and why? Yeah, so the eight schools to start with, um, there's blockchain at Berkeley, Harvard blockchain, blockchain at Michigan, MIT Sloan blockchain, uh, Berkeley, Tsinghua, uh, uh, a university blockchain association, uh, Oxford Blockchain Society, and blockchain at USC. Um, it was one of those things where it was kind of an interesting model because for me, I was pitching that, you know, I think having these university groups basically doing good work and then also having the association with BitDAO is going to lead to significant kind of engagement with BitDAO. Um, you know, just because we're focusing on gaming, we're focusing on education, we're focusing on scalability, like soon to be kind of like art, NFT, like all these ideas. So it's kind of like a wide open idea factory almost. So I think that students are really looking to build something and this is a great platform to engage with that. Um, and but like in order to kind of prove this model, you need to have kind of this first batch be quite successful. Um, so I, for me, it was going to these established blockchain groups that have been around for a couple of cycles that have kind of weathered a bear market that have a very entrepreneurial already kind of doing community building already doing conferences. And, you know, I have the confidence that they can take this capital to just supercharge that initiative. But then the goal is to start expanding this to other universities, setting up entirely new groups, um, you know, not having it just be kind of these established uh, kind of universities. Um, and then the two to three year goal, hopefully we can just generally democratize education and just say, hey, if you and a few friends are interested, like here's an on-ramp, you know, just you as an individual, like here's some educational material. Because um, there's a lot of resources in these schools, but sharing that and then externalizing it, uh, I think is definitely the end goal. It shouldn't be based on like university or geographic location. But right now it's like, hey, we have to prove the space model. Who do I think are the like most established kind of groups to execute on it? So that was kind of kind of the mentality when picking this uh, initial batch. Yeah. Um, now I understand. <laughs> That's good. They're already are they're already actively involved. Um, and that makes a big difference. Um, you said earlier, silos. When I wrote my book in 2018, I first reached out to 5,000 universities, and the um, the responses I got. I mean, I'm not going to say that on the air. They weren't positive. <laughs> so it's good <laughs> to see that things are are changing. You know. Um, so how do you? So from this, this these disparate ecosystems, these disparate colleges, right? How do you actually connect? you know, them together, you know, into one governance body uh, from a governance perspective and then also from a technology perspective, you know, how will it really work? Yeah, um, so I think it's like kind of important to understand the structure and it's basically BitDAO is capitalizing EduDAO and EduDAO is kind of does a couple of things. Like the kind of focus of that entity is making sure all these schools are connecting, having frequent conversations, hosting retreats, kind of a hackathon, developer workshops, like really focusing on that connectivity part. Um, so that's EduDAO's role. It's also helping with kind of the legal setup, the accounting, the taxes, you know, like all of this kind of compliance related stuff and also kind of the financial and like funding aspect that school shouldn't be focusing on. Like in my mind, they should be focusing on building communities. Like that's what they want to do. And I think they're kind of best optimized to do that. So then EduDAO then distributes funds to each university group, which will have its own DAO. And that university DAO is completely governed by the students. Um, so I think it's like one of those things where it's like kind of macro aligned and coordinated by like EduDAO and BitDAO. 
Um, but then there's kind of this micro competition that each university group wants to kind of do better than the others. Um, so I think I think it'll be interesting to see how that is. And this model gives them the flexibility to kind of um, have the agency to make their own decisions. Do you see where a decentralized Oracle network could play a role in the being like the communicator between all of them? Um, I mean, like. When I think of Oracle network, I think of like some external data that needs to be kind of, you know, used to trigger some kind of event. I think that's one of the things where like this is especially DAOs in general. It's not necessarily kind of like these binary actions, like something is or not and like triggers some kind of action. I think it's more of like a social coordination. Um, and Oracle could tell me, you know, hey, Bitcoin price is this or Bitcoin price is that. But I think as far as kind of like aligning interests, that's that's more of like people coming together, talking and having conversations, building relationships. So. Um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure if kind of like a, an Oracle network, uh, would be a good fit, but I think that there's like a lot of need to facilitate that communication and have these kind of, you know, open lines, um, for, for kind of the schools to be like discuss and share resources. Got it. Okay. So the focus is on the social interaction and the leadership building, and then also the business building that comes as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Awesome. Okay. Great. Um, so. Uh, let's you you believe that you know with greater funding right and a more explicit focus on blockchain technology universities can unearth uh, new talent and nurture the next generation of innovators how do you see this playing out in the coming years yeah I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of people on campuses who that don't have formalized clubs that are like reaching out now and being like hey how do I form this club um you know and then all of a sudden they start forming it and like over the last kind of like year I've talked with a few individuals who just like started something put up suppliers and then all of a sudden there's 10 people there's 20 people there's 30 and so it's like I think a lot of people are paying attention and getting interested in web3 but just reading about it in their dorms you know or like in their free time but having this kind of coordinated structure that people could share resources, I think really supercharges the education process. Like it's so hard to dip a toe into crypto. Like if you're just on crypto Twitter, you know, and on Reddit and like trying to read, like if you're able to kind of collaborate with 20 different people, get different perspectives, and then also have a brand that you can then reach out to projects and, you know, maybe do kind of little MVPs, you know, and do research stuff and kind of like share that. Um, I think that is extremely valuable. There's also the component that Berkeley RDI, it's, it's a research center at University of Berkeley is involved um, uh, with EduDAO. And so I think like university groups are the fastest to form. They're the quickest to kind of you know, make changes and kind of like develop things. But there's a real push to have kind of actual blockchain resources on campus. Uh, I think like Berkeley has done quite a good job in offering a few kind of classes, you know, and things to take. There's a lot of other universities like Stanford as well who are um, and, and a bunch of other schools I'm forgetting have offered classes. Um, one school even reached out and they're, they're planning on doing a minor um, where you can actually kind of have like a minor in blockchain. And so I think just, it comes back to like that coordination and kind of the power of people coming together that I think if there's a concerted effort to standardize some of these things and start communicating across campus, it'll make it easier for actual university centers to also engage, not just kind of the students themselves. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's kind of one of the goals of what happens. That's a great goal. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, so, you, you know, you see value added opportunities, you know, that college would receive by participating in EduDAO, you know, um, well, like how could what opportunities would they receive that they're not already receiving through like, 
you know, the, the school pensions and you mentioned some really good schools that have major pensions and funding. Um, what added opportunities do you bring to the table that they don't? Yeah, and I think it comes down to that, like, schools are a bit slow to move because um, obviously, especially some of these institutions, they've been around for a long time. They have phenomenal brands like they're very highly regarded. And I, I think it makes sense for them to be very slow and methodical and make sure that you know, this is legitimate, anything that's under their brand. Um, they have these student groups, like, you know, us in 2016, like, we started this blockchain at Berkeley group, right? And like, the school is like, kind of trying to figure out where this sits. And oh, wow, we're actually making a lot of money doing this consulting and investing. And so it's like, there, there were like a lot of kind of lessons learned there. And I think like Berkeley over the last couple of years has very much leaned into that. Um, and now like working closely with students and faculty and the university. Um, I think that's kind of the value out of this is like helping kind of, uh, you know, help this kind of along at other university campuses, um, kind of help like these university groups get the resources they need to just run kind of these uh, like, yeah, you kind of mentioned pensions, right? But it's like, I almost imagine these things being like these mini kind of blockchain specific endowments. Because um, just endowments in general, right? Like they're very slow to invest. They're very methodical. If they invest, they're going to invest for the next five, 10 years, right? And so like, having that long-term mindedness, it's just a different time horizon. Like these, I want to be quick, kind of small grants, like small investments, just helping students get from zero to one. And I think like having that baseline um, is something that's very much needed. I think when something's established and has been around for decades and is gonna be around for decades more, that's like very clear. Um, the schools lean into that, they provide the funding and it kind of fits into that funnel. Um, but I think that's lacking at a lot of campuses now. So this is very much kind of this like much needed interim solution because Everyone I know in Web3 is like, I need to hire everyone, like designers, UI, UX, engineers, you know, like PMs, like every position has like dozens of like phenomenal companies hiring. So um, would be great to have kind of students more able to get the context they need to then succeed in those positions. I agree. I, I, I've interviewed a few 16 and 15 year olds and they're making a lot of money. I guess because they have that coding skills and, and it's it's this area that you need people. So it's good you guys are both working on that, you know. Um, but when I when I when I hear like major schools getting major funding and others not yet, the first the first thing that pops to my mind is Felicity Huffman and the school, uh, you know, the school of you know cheating or, not, or creating their own rules to get into school. You know, I, I see that as, and, and then other smaller schools suffer. So um, how do you plan on building this out to the 200 schools so that you could put people on an even foot? Yeah, and that's something that like, I talk with the universities a lot. And like, I kind of mentioned before, this initial structure is really trying to set it up for success. You know, I see the churn rate in university groups, they, they you know, get established and then they die down, they don't take off, right? And so it's like, I think for this first batch, it was needed to have kind of groups who've been around for several years, like that I think can execute on this over the next couple of years so that, you know, half of them don't fail and then all of a sudden this like falls apart, right? And like, there's no more funding and no one gets funding at all. Um, so this is kind of like that short term kind of like proof of concept phase. Um, I think the goal in talking with a lot of the university groups is that they're very excited to actually engage with other universities, especially ones that don't have any blockchain groups at all. And we talked about basically having kind of these like funding kind of like milestones um, for certain metrics. And like one of the larger ones would be like, hey, have you helped establish a club at another org? Like, have you helped kind of like train some of their leadership there? You know, like how large has the group been? So I think like in this first year, defining those metrics that are really kind of 
um, allowing this to like support other universities, maybe through direct funding or maybe even just support from some of the established uh, kind of crypto clubs. Um, so I think there's a lot we can do here and it's definitely top of mind for, for a lot of these groups. Awesome, awesome. So you had a couple quotes um, and I wanna ask you questions about them. You said tomorrow's most promising products and designs are being devised at the university level right now. This partnership facilitates that growth at a scalable level by giving students and faculties access to sorely needed investment capital. Uh, with today's competition between students at all time high levels, you obviously can't um, onboard every college, but if schools get funding and others don't, you know, um, yeah, I expect a disparity right um so are you gonna is this gonna increase competition for colleges and if so what's the positive benefit from it um i think there's like kind of like the university level and like you know like the inter and intra right kind of competition i think like i hope that universities who really lean into blockchain all of a sudden become magnets for very talented students i think you're already seeing that some of the universities are leading the way on blockchain and offer blockchain courses I've literally heard some students say, hey, I chose this school because I wanted to go to this club, you know, or because I wanted to take this class or work with this professor. Um, so I think that will increase kind of the, the uh, kind of um, competitiveness between universities. And, and I hope so, because that's kind of leverage for universities to say, hey, this is something that's real. We should, so, so, should support it. Um, I think so, as far as like between, between students, it's really interesting. Most of these clubs I see is like very collaborative. Like you know, most people who are into crypto, it's one of those things where it's like, you're just passionate about it. You know, like people just can't stop talking about it. Once it kind of clicks, like you're just down that rabbit hole. And so I see this like really collaborative nature that people want to talk about it all day, every day. And they find that kind of outlet in these groups. And so like sharing that knowledge, getting excited, starting things, building with each other, like that's, uh, yeah, I mean, really kind of like what I've seen. So I think it's like maybe competitive on the macro level, but like, you know, in the schools, I see it as extremely collaborative. When I went to college, they didn't have social impact, or they did have social impact, but no one was talking about different, all different majors making a social impact, right? But now you have Web3, right? You have Web3, you have your funding, you have innovative research, you know, um, you said bridging early stage VC investments with innovative academic research will build the foundation for the next generation of Web3 technologies. I agree with you fully. But my question is, how so and what breakthroughs could be made now um, that couldn't be made, you know, when we were going to school or at least when I was going to school a while ago? Yeah. 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 I mean, um, I think there's a couple things to unpack there. Right. Like um, I think like with these university groups, um, allowing them to be more sustainable by making these micro investments in their peers, um, I think is a very cool model. Um, by not having it kind of just be like this extractive of kind of like knowledge out of these university groups and from their research, um, actually like able to capitalize them and have that roll back into the entities that help them kind of get started in the space. Um, I also think like something like Berkeley RDI and soon to be other centers um, at other universities, by allowing them to fund PhD students who are saying, you know, hey, I've only been able to get funding for these like kind of certain subset of, you know, especially like privacy preserving tech or cryptography but having them actually have direct application to blockchain and cryptocurrency. Um, I think that's going to be very additive. It really like legitimizes it. And it's not something that you do as kind of a side hobby or like, you know, some kind of a side project. So it can be really directly focusing on this for kind of your graduate studies. 
Um, so, so I think like having that kind of funding there um, and, and kind of like both the student groups, like helping their peers, as well as kind of the graduate students who want to do applied research um, is important. And kind of to your second piece um, about as far as like what isn't possible. I mean, I think we're really seeing breakthroughs every every day. Like it's 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 pretty phenomenal. It's one of those things. Like you know, I think just taking a specific super small slice, but I think is like quite powerful, is like in the field of zero knowledge proofs. Um, you know, it's kind of cryptography in general. I think the funding has went from like small trickle to like an absolute like you know giant ocean of funding because people realize that fundamental breakthroughs in privacy preserving tech, you know, or like succinctness or like you know kind of some of these other qualities that are very useful to blockchains get massive amounts of funding. Um, so, so I think like that, that's been quite interesting to see kind of that, that additional funding really expedite the innovation in these certain verticals. Um, so, you know, to your, to your point, I think like, it, you know, a lot of this stuff is built on the shoulders of others. So it's just kind of, you know, one person has an innovation, then all of a sudden you see this fractal of growth based on kind of that piece. Um, and I think we keep seeing that kind of in, you know, zero knowledge proofs and, and kind of cryptography in general that, you know, if you find some kind of uh, new kind of research breakthrough or new primitive, um, other people have ideas that can then kind of uh, branch off from that. Okay, so you said, so now I have to ask you a technical question before I ask you the final question. Uh, here's a technical <laughs> question. Uh, you, you mentioned that you said zero knowledge proofs, and there's also zero knowledge roll-ups um, that were first being talked about in the fourth quarter of last year, 2021, that you said now you're seeing massive funding. So what are you seeing um, and how are you seeing things play out? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because when you think zero knowledge proofs, you think of like privacy preserving tech. Um, but a lot of their application is really for like, you know, with, especially with ZK Snarks is like the S, which stands for succinct. And it's because you can basically take a lot of data or a lot of things and kind of make it this very concise kind of proof. Um, and so like being able to do that has a lot of benefits um, that aren't privacy related. So something like Mina, uh, where they basically say, hey, like our, our entire blockchain state can be verified by this kind of 22 kilobyte proof. Um, you know, if you start talking about having millions of transactions, you're going to have terabytes of kind of block, uh, blockchain size. And it's very hard for everyone to host that and verify it themselves. So to keep that kind of like data storage from getting centralized, you could do something like that, like your recursive snarks used to make this very concise blockchain that everyone can like host and verify on their mobile phone. I think that's compelling. You know, you mentioned ZK rollups. You know, if you basically try to have everything executed on the base layer, even with sharding or parallelization or hardware acceleration, like you start to bottleneck eventually. Like, you know, and I think that blockchain, as it kind of fulfills its true potential, you're going to need millions of transactions per second. And the only kind of elegant solution I see to that without giving away kind of decentralization or kind of security um, is to have these ZK rollups where you basically kind of take all these proofs, batch them together and just submit a proof on chain and you validate that. Um, I think you also have projects like Alio, um, which is just doing generalized computation um, that you can verify with this proof. And you can actually verify within the proof that it was done correctly, which is just absolutely incredible when you start to think. I mean, the, the math is like absolutely like moon math, but um, it's something that can be done. And when it gets to scale, I think it'll be quite compelling. Um, and then you're kind of also seeing like zero knowledge proofs used for kind of um, some of this like bridging technology and like database management, um, where you can actually prove that kind of the data is available. Um, you can actually kind of take the current state of a blockchain, have a proof kind of go to another blockchain and execute something. So something like Mina's bridge, where you take that you know proof, you verify it on ETH, and then it can actually execute a smart contract on ETH. Um, that's a much easier kind of bridge than some of these other economically incentivized and uh, um, kind of other solutions. But yeah, so anyway, I mean, I could go down the rabbit hole with this, but you know, I think 
there's a lot of applications and then there's also the privacy aspect which you know hasn't necessarily even uh, been fully tapped into as well i don't need you to go down the rabbit hole that's another con that's another conversation <laughs> we can go much deeper uh, i used sure. to build mapping tables and sql databases so i know with like what the standard bridge is <laughs> so um yeah so that's great i, I want to thank you very much for your time today it's been an awesome conversation i'm very pleased that the universities are more respective than they were when i met them a few years ago um and hopefully my my school virginia tech uh, alma mater will be part of this um and so that would be great um so i want so i have one last question um how can people find out more information about you about what you do about your um and your dow what you're up to yeah, so I mean, EduDAO is really like hyper focused on getting this first batch out. Um, if you go to edudao.io, um, there's actually a form where you can fill out your, your email and kind of contact. It's like a type form you can fill out um, some of the information um, and say kind of why you're interested in contacting. I would say we've had about like 650 people reach out so far. So I mean, um, a bit prioritizing kind of just getting this first phase up and running and kind of, uh, you know, and then slowly working our way through that. So if you don't get a response kind of the next day, like, don't be surprised, you know, it might be a week or two later. Um, but yeah, you know, really, like if you're just interested in getting involved, feel free to kind of tweet at EduDAO or kind of uh, at my Twitter handle. Um, it's like Jonathan T. Allen one, because it's a very common name, but um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, just feel free to reach out. I mean, we're always looking, you know, kind of the, the ethos of BitDAO is partner when possible. Um, you know, it's one of those things where the more people who come together, the more builders who are getting excited and like building together, I, I think the better the community is. So. That's, that's really the ethos we're trying to instill in EduDAO as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jamil. Great talk. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.